oh hello What's someone's that? called me from my on, agents no no it's my, it's my it's my agents if it was something like i mean i don't mind usually obama calls at this time but i don't <laughs> i don't usually pick no, up Nahal, that wouldn't surprise I don't me usually, don't um. usually pick. he's bored now so bored <laughs> just rings up random people this week on walking the dog i went up to manchester to go for a stroll with radio presenter and human wonder nahal arthanayaka and his beautiful staffy luna I'm a really big fan of Nahal's afternoon show on BBC Radio 5 Live. He's one of those presenters who's comfortable talking to anyone about any subject. And he's also got a genuine curiosity about the world, which I got to see in person when he started sparking up conversations with every dog walker we passed. Often brilliant interviewers are actually a bit less keen on opening up themselves, but Nahal was really honest about all areas of his life with me, what drove him to succeed, what it felt like when he lost his dad. How he knew his wife was a keeper. She really is, by the way. I met her. I love my day with Nahal and Luna, and I really hope you enjoy it too. He's even made me feel slightly less prejudiced towards Spurs fans. Well, a little bit. Do rate, review and subscribe if you like this. And remember to catch Nahal on BBC Radio 5 Live from 1pm Mondays to Thursdays. Here's Nahal. Luna. Come on then. So where are we going to go, Nahal? I don't know. We'll just take a... Um, this is a, a new build estate that's about two years old, so it's all a bit generic. If people remember Brookside, that show that was set up by Phil Rome. There you go. There's a patch on this, on the new tarmac, so got to have a sniff of that. It's very smart that. here. Yeah, I mean, it's just... I mean, it's generic, and it, it, some people would say just a bit cold. But are we allowed to say where in England we are? We're, yeah, we're, we're in the northwest. We're near Manchester. Yes. Um, I, think, I, think, I think some people guess. I always say Manchester. We're just south of Manchester. No, we don't want to do a, a kidnappers or burglars yeah, guide, yeah, yeah, I yeah. always think. Also, as well, I think, you know, my, uh, the times we live in, being on Five Live always has this element where you, and we're on the show kind of always kind of pushing the boundary slightly so some people get annoyed now one great thing about this is the badger habitat so I've just seen. when they were when they were building this estate they couldn't build on this plot of land here because there are a family of badgers that we've never seen Do you so know maybe that it's an urban myth i've just suburban seen this. myth there's a sign that says badger habitat it's like we're at a london zoo <laughs> and i don't mean this horribly but yeah. it's like sorry kids the bears aren't here today we're going to have yeah. to see the badger habitat but there's a photo of a badger, which is helpful, and it says this area is restricted space. Please do not enter unless you've been authorised to do so. What, by the badgers? Yes. Yeah, you're all right, mate. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, the badger okay. bouncers are there. No trainers, mate. Not coming <laughs> in with those like that. I, I think my beard might get me in because <laughs> it's a similar colour. Because you've got white Because I've got a badger beard, <laughs> which some people call salt and pepper, but now I've seen that, maybe I am just a badger. Um, and there's a kind of red stripe here on the floor, so they've obviously been, had a big night. That's why they're not out. But that's heartening that property developers haven't been allowed to yeah, build it is, over right? that, isn't it? It really it's is. preserved. That's well, so no good. No one's ever seen you know, these badges. No, I haven't even formally introduced you. I'm going to do this. Okay. I always do a sort of false beginning. Okay. I'm very excited because I adore this man. Spoiler oh, alert. And thing. I'm with the lovely Nahal Arthanayaka. Yeah. Did I get it right? Arthur Nyaka. Arthur Nyaka. There you go. I'm going to do it again. Close. But I'm going to keep in that I got it wrong. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. I'm Love with that. Nahal Arthur Nyaka. Perfect. Because Perfect. I think you have to get the effort to make people's names right. Yeah. And I suspect people get your name wrong. They mispronounce it, do they, sometimes? Yeah, I discovered today, actually, that Jacob Rees-Mogg's sister is called Azuniata. Oh, yes. And I just thought Azuniata Arthur Nyaka would be an amazing... <laughs> It would give kind of anyone who's presenting Countdown a aneurysm <laughs> in the amount of vowels and consonants in Azanita Arthanayaka. Well, your show, amazing. I mean, you know, a lot of people listening to this will be very familiar with you, but Hope so. I know you best right now. For, I've been listening to you for a, a long time because you're a bit of a, a big name in radio. You have been for a while. You've been a rapper. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know, I want to talk to you I about MC Crazy, but I we're going to talk... I know, that. it's brilliant. Um, I've even seen you do rap battles and you did a brilliant takedown, which I love, of yeah. a man who was being a kind of misogynistic in a vile way. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're a bit of a force to be reckoned with <laughs> and 
Your show at the moment, I met you because I went on your Radio 5 show. Yes, you were lovely. Oh, well, amazing. I really enjoyed doing it amazing. in Harland. So, but I want to go back to the beginning. Yeah. Because you've had a really packed life. Yeah. And you're beginning in Harlow? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, well, Harlow's where I went to school. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in a village called Royden, yeah. where my mum still is. Uh, famous for two things, um, one of which you'd have to go through lawyers probably to say, and also Ray Winston lives there. And I bumped into Ray Winston at the Brits a few years ago. Yeah. I said, oh, hi, Ray. And he's like, oh, hello, mate. And I'm like, oh, hey, doing all right. And I went, um, yeah, you live in Royden, don't you? And he, went, and he looked at me like, oh, God, weirdo stalker. And I said, um, I said no, 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 because I grew up there. I, you know, my mum lives in that village. And he looked at me and went, oh, we might as well be cousins. And he gave me a big hug. It was weird. <laughs> Not really, Ray, but thanks. I'd love to be your cousin. Oh, man. The guy's got a pub in the grounds of his own house. Oh, yeah, Amazing. but you know what? Of course he has. Yeah, of course he has. In the way that I can imagine Terry Venables would have had that. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, There's absolutely. a certain type of bloke. Yes. I mean, I imagine... Danny Dyer must be building one at the moment. He's on the way. He's, He's 10 years off. He's got a bit, isn't he? I mean, I'm willing to bet a large amount of money Sam Allardyce has got one. <laughs> It's a very old school shouting, wearing an anorak in the technical yes. area thing to do. Yeah, Open a pub in your yeah, house. Exactly. And um, a meat raffle twice <laughs> a month in the grounds of his car. Well, these are pretty houses now. Yeah, they're kind of weird, aren't they? Nahal Athanayaka. Yes. So tell me about your, tell me about your childhood, Nahal. Um, you, your mum was a nurse, is that right? Yeah, that's right. My mum was a nurse. She was in the NHS for... 36 odd years. There's a park around here somewhere. Oh, and, let's go and, there. And I have no idea where it is. And that's why Isha volunteered. But Isha uh, is Nahal's lovely yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah, my wife volunteered and why said... Why don't we call Isha and find out? We don't, we'll find it. This is the part of the we'll adventure. Find... Let's okay. go and find oh, it. Oh, I like that. Yeah, let's just go and find... <laughs> it's hardly Indiana Jones, <laughs> but I mean... It's my version in suburbia. Why don't you think you're Captain Oates? Yeah, because you're trying to find a park well, near I've got, your house. My dog is kind of attired like Ranulph Fiennes. Oh, Luna. Camo, well, we're going to get on to Luna because I'm already yes. obsessed. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the staffy. So, so your, your childhood, your mum, this was in the 70s you grew up, yeah, really? Yeah, born in 71, yeah. And what, was your dad around? Your dad and mum yeah, were so married? Yes, my mum and dad came here in the 60s. Um, my dad, it's quite interesting because... You know, a lot of Asians think they, they club together and they bought a house. So one family would come over, buy a house here, then the other family would come over and then suddenly you have a little Asian enclave and then that would get bigger and it'd be an Asian street and then it might be a whole Asian neighbourhood. He wasn't about that. I mean, he often said, look, you know... I'm and this is Sri- does it Sri Lanka Sri your Lankan, parents came Yeah, from, Sri yeah. Lanka and Sri Lankan Sinhalese, which in right. itself is quite a... a oh. We're a niche amongst minorities in this country uh, we because most Asians in this country are either Indian or, or Pakistani yeah. so if you Indian or Pakistani that takes up the bulk of Asians and then there are the Sh- Bangladeshis and then come the Sri Lankans yeah. and then when you get the Sri Lankans the Sri Lankans are mostly from the Tamil community we're from the Sinhalese community so we're then a minority of a minority of a minority right so my dad a he didn't want to recreate little Sri Lanka in the UK I think he wanted us to assimilate, I think. Did he? Um, well, that's not fair, actually, because he did always, tr- every three years, take us back to Sri Lanka and it's quite adamant. He once tried to get us to meditate. He thought that would be a good part of our kind of Buddhist upbringing to meditate. Uh, and, you know, t- 10 and 11 year old boys playing football all the time, being very English, you know, we just sat there and giggled for an hour. And, and your parents, the were they time. both Buddhists? Your yeah, yeah, we're, we're kind of culturally Buddhist. Sri and Lankans, are you yeah. a Buddhist now? I identify as a Buddhist, but, you know, I couldn't tell you the last time I went to temple. I don't really, I couldn't chapter and verse tell you any of the Buddhist prayers. I take on um, things that the Lord Buddha said. I think one of the most important things is man has no refuge but man. Uh, and that equally human has no refuge mm. but human in the sense that you can't just pray away your sins. You right. can't just go and give over yeah. money to a temple and then suddenly you're good. Right. You have to be able to look within yourself and understand your frailties and understand the issues that you have with life and confront them and do something about them. Mm. So, and karma. I mean, karma is an important 
part I like of the way you say karma because you say it in the proper Buddhist way, I think. People yeah. say, I say it in karma. the boy George way. Karma. Whereas you karma say. Karma chameleon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's more like karma. Karma, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah. say it in karma like yeah, that. Karma, it sounds really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what was your dad's job? He was an engineer. He really? had a degree in a first class degree in maths and physics. Yeah, he was a master's, I think, in physics. I mean, he's super brainiac, you know, really, really clever man. Because um, people often associate, yeah. and correct me if this is, this is a real sort of cliched trope, isn't it? Yeah. The idea of the Asian who's, who's got this sort of head for figures and great at numbers and yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you think, well, that's a real cliche. Is that because that is a sort of... Asians, I think, are... Well, I think they're good parents and I think they want their kids to learn. And is that part of it, do you think? Or is that just a tired old I th- trope? I think there's, there's just an immigrant mentality right. which says that yes. you must be more successful than us and we will yes. set in motion the elements that will make you hopefully yeah. be more successful. So what we'll do is I'm going to come here and I'm going to work in a factory six days a week, 16 hours a day so you don't have to and I'm going to give you the best education I can and I'm going to work really hard to show you that hard work has benefits so you know there's a whole generation my generation really of Asians who perhaps didn't see a lot of their parents that's interesting because David Baddiel <clears throat> when I interviewed him for this it's a podcast, very similar Jewish mentality actually. well that's what exactly what he pointed yeah, out he yeah. said Asians he said it's the same yeah, mentality in a way so. which is I want to give you the best start it's a fundamentally a belief in education. Mm. That education, you know, knowledge will set you free. Yeah. And you come here and you work hard. I mean, there's countless stories in the Asian community of fathers, mothers who worked in factories, and sons and daughters who are doctors. And I mean, this is, I've, having presented a phone-in show on the BBC Asian Network for many years, yes. I've heard countless of these stories. But it's not a an immigrant story. There are plenty, plenty of West African, Nigerian and Ghanaian families who yeah. are exactly the same. I mean, the, the, the shocking statistic is that the worst GCSE results are white working class boys in a country which is 80, 85% white. You know, that's the most shocking story yeah. for me and the, and the thing that kind of... And why do you think that is? Well, um, there's two ways of assessing that some say it's because all the resources have been given over to you know minorities that's the kind of right wing Mm. trope and that um i wonder if there is a sense of entitlement there that this is our country and that things will be all right yeah and meanwhile (coughs) all these immigrants kids have just got down and just gone we're going to be something Um, and that's not to say of course that look there are plenty of white working class people who believe in education and believe yeah. in their kids making it. It's very difficult to ascertain. I mean, there, there is also low expectations. So if your parents weren't grafters, if your parents didn't believe in education, it's going to be quite difficult for you to just take that on. You know, it's just I difficult. I think that's true what you initially said, though. I compare it, and I hope this isn't too shallow a comparison. Yeah. I sort of knew on a personal level, it's like I was always grateful in a strange way. Now, I'm grateful there were a lot of the pretty girls in my class. I was fine, but I was never sort of a 10. Cause I was, and I look at those 10s and I think, oh, well, I had to sort of work on a bit of a personality. <laughs> Which, <laughs> because I think you have to. clear, uh, you were easily a nine and a half. No. Second, but secondly, your personality... I wasn't harpooning for compliments. No, there. but your personality would definitely take you over the nine and a half over to... Well, this ten, is the thing. You, what you've got to do is add these bits up, you see. Well, no, it's just so, who you are. Yeah. I mean, you don't contrive a personality. You either kind of have one or you don't, don't you? Although I think when you're growing up, if you're told from an early age, and this happens more with women, I think, actually, Mm. you're beautiful. That is a passive thing to be. You are beautiful. You had no control over that. Yes. You didn't make an effort. You have no control. You just are. You don't do. ah, Well, that's why I I say to my nine-year-old daughter, when I say that she's beautiful, I always make sure I say, and you're so clever. Yes, you know, I think so. Yeah. I, and, I, and you're so strong and you're, yeah. you've got such an amazing personality. Like I, I make sure that I don't just say, oh God, you're so beautiful. Of course I'm going to think she's the most beautiful thing on earth. Of course you are, yeah. Um, but you're right, you know, to make sure that that's not, I don't want her to think that that's how she should define her 
sense of worth yeah. is on something. Yes, she's because had nothing to do. Because that's something that's done with. to you. Well, yes. If, if you want to do to the world, yeah. you've got to be more than pretty. You know, yeah. you have no control over that. Yeah, but, I mean, um, this is what's yeah. happened. You know what happens now? It's so Go interesting, on. and we immediately get into like we're on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hiya, well, this is uh, coming up the second hour on. Uh, <laughs> I can't help it because you're a natural <laughs> debater and you're fascinating. No, but I'm really. afraid this has to be about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and sorry, this is sorry, interesting sorry, sorry. for you because you're always used to talking, finding out about other people. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to be on the receiving end of it for a change. Well then. I'm going to put you on. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Um, do. So your dad yes. is an engineer who's come over. I'm getting a picture now. Yeah, your mum's yeah. a nurse. Yeah. What sort of a, would you describe your house as middle class? So I grew or? up in a, uh, yeah, so the definition of middle class, I guess, is that you grew up in a house that is owned. So it's a mortgage. You're not renting it. Someone else doesn't own it. You've, mm. you, you've got a mortgage and you do it. And I grew up in that house. I was born in Harlow Hospital and went straight into a house that my parents had bought. Um, and it was their first house that they had bought in this little village. You know, and God, this is like the 70s, mm. and you're this brown family, right, in the 70s, and we forget, you know, because now we live in this country where people of my colour yeah. can demand things. We can say, well, we're British, we pay taxes. We're, why are you treating us like this? Why is there not diversity? Why is there not... <laughs> yeah. What's that now? Is that a That's border a ter terrier? Yeah, it's a border terrier, yeah, Hello. yeah. That's a border terrier. terrier. A border terrier. I call them 1940s dogs. <laughs> they look like something out of the 1940s. Oh, so lovely. What's this dog called? Jeff. Oh, Jeff. Jeff. Well, Luna's Luna's 14 now. Hello, How old's Jeff? Jeff? He's nine. Oh. Hello, Jeff. What a great she, name. She, I'm keeping her a bit like this because she's a bit old and grumpy. Yeah. So she, she won't attack, it's but okay. she would just growl a little bit and be a bit because she's... She's now a bit old and a bit, yeah. right, a bit cantankerous, as we will all become. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, hello, Jen. Look at you. You're Bye, so Jeff. cute. What a, can I just say? That's a brilliant name. My dog's called Raymond, actually. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it always inspires that reaction. Why did you call your dog Jeff? Husband's choice. He just thought it looked oh. like a good name. Can I just say I love your husband? I don't know him, but I, I love that he called the dog Jeff. Jeff. Is superb. Well, bye, Jeff. <laughs> bye, See ya. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, isn't that brilliant? That's amazing. But that gives me, what you call it, gives me a little insight into that family that they've got a good sense of humour. Yeah, I like true, them. Right. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe he just thinks, what's wrong with it? Call it Jeff. Well, when, I, when I first... Call it a good name. When I, Jeff is a proper solid English name. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he's Jeffrey. <laughs> maybe named after Chaucer or something. Maybe there's a literary... No, I think Capes. Okay. Jeff Capes. Jeff Capes. Oh, Jeff, all right. Or Boycott. Or Hurst. Boycott. It's Hurst Capes oh, or Boycott? Oh, not Boycott, actually, because that's no. Yorkshire. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah, we want it. It'll be Hurst or Capes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, tell me, so your childhood, yeah, you were talking about this thing of feeling, uh, feeling other, I suppose, oh, in the village. Oh, that's been a constant. That's been a constant. And, and it was your brother who was, you had a... Yeah, he's 11 months older than me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so we had a brother. Were you close to him? Yeah, he's cool as. I mean, he, we are chalk and cheese, literally. I mean, he is an accountant. Right, so, you know, Radio 1 DJ, accountant. Actually, no, now he's an IT analyst. Yeah, he's an IT analyst, IT That's consultant. That's the new accountant. Yes, yeah, 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 so he's... We've yeah, just met yeah. another dog. Yeah. Who I... Is that a... I don't know. I'm not sure what kind of dog that is. I don't know. Hello. Uh, what kind of dog is that? It's a cockapoo. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, they're very friendly. Hello. Oh. Beautiful. Oh, come on. What's yours? This is a... Luna is a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Oh, yeah. And she's 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 she wants to go home. She's 14 yeah, she's years enough. old, and she hasn't got that kind of sprightly oh, thing know, anymore. He's, he's she's just she's. Enough. I've just taken his off. Oh, oh, did he have the cone of shame? Yeah, he has, but I've just taken it off. Oh, good. Him. Yeah. The cone of shame. You know the cone of shame. Yeah, I do know the cone. Looks like it's going to pick up Sky TV on yeah. his, uh, his neck whenever I see a dog like that. My dog Raymond had the cone of shame. But they'd given him a sort of. They'd attempted to make it fashionable. It was like denim. A, thought, denim. No, a denim cone of shame. Did you have the clear plasticky Plastic, one? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Denim? Yeah, denim. Jeez, that's a bit much. <laughs> that's so London. Yeah. I know, it's very London. Oh, oh this nice one's a bit grumpy. Yeah. Uh, what did you say your dog's name was? Murphy. Murphy. We've yeah. met Jeff and Murphy. Jeff we met earlier. You? Do you know Jeff the Border Terrier? No. Oh, you've got to get no, involved. I know Alfie and I know a few, quite a few. <laughs> Well, I can yes. hear that that's your, your heritage, is it? Murphy's, it is. is We're it? We're going to call him Paddy, but my son is called Patrick. <laughs> oh, right, right. So that would be confusing. Paddy, that would so be confusing. Thought, oh, Murphy. So Murphy is a good, that's a good yeah. solid. It is, isn't it? South <laughs> of the border. 
Is that? Yeah. Is it, you, are you Aaron from? Just wrong to me, but yeah. There you go. Yeah, Murphy, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Bye, Murph. See Bye, ya. Murphy. See you. Murphy and Jeff. You see that? That's so interesting, the hell, because yeah. most people, I notice on dog walks that that encounter is part of it, but you basically end up interviewing everybody yeah. that you meet. Yeah. You're very yeah. curious about people, aren't I you? I do. I love people. I love people, and I love. I just, I just think everyone's got such a fascinating story to tell. One thing that you, you kind of, I would say subconsciously, but perhaps not subconsciously, is as an Asian, you kind of want to make sure that you are, you overcompensate for the idea that perhaps you're going to be, all Asians will be judged by you. Do you think so? So you think to yourself, well... You're a brand ambassador. You kind of end up having this horrible... Which you, then you resent, because you're thinking, well, why can't I do Well, actually, saying this, right, okay, so you're seeing me walk a dog, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm quite pleasant in conversation. In a car, I'm horrible. Like, I'll sw- I swore at two people this morning in a car. One of them, I was just going, you effing idiot. Why like is that? This. Because you're protected. Because they, they then let me in, and they should have done it. It was that's rude, just rude. So I'm not a great brand ambassador in a car. But that's because no one around. can see you. So does it? maybe you feel less exposed. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I think because I grew up in a village with no brown people around me for miles. Yes. I'm just, um, I, I just like people, and I just judge I don't, I don't think that you can be my friend just because you happen to come from Sri Lanka. Right. You know, I, don't, I, I don't think suddenly we're bonded because, and we'll be mates for life because your parents happen to come from the same country as me. I, I, my my um, the groomsmen at my wedding were of Jamaican, solid English, um, Asian. It was just a whole background. My, my social circle of close friends are just super mixed. Well, I um, want to talk about that as well because I know you got into rap, and that was a, that was yeah. obviously a thing that you felt part of. Yeah, that was the first time I felt part of something. But and I wanted to ask you first: Were you close to your? What was your relationship with your parents like? It's. I mean, I you know adored my parents. I think my parents are my greatest role models, but they are from such a different culture. You know, my kids and I can have conversations and will have conversations in a way that my parents and I could never have had conversations, you know. Mm. Um, you know I had multiple girlfriends. Um, and was that frowned upon, do you think? No, actually, no. Yeah. My parents were very liberal. I remember once um, my... Uh, I had a... Can we get the multiple girlfriends chat out the way before yeah. we go back into the house? <laughs> she knows, actually. It's Mrs. Quite, a. No, it's quite interesting with Mrs A because Mrs A has, uh, you know, she <laughs> was, uh, was had a fair few relationships as well. And we were really honest with each other about that when we first met each other. Really? Because, yeah, because, you know, I, you know I've not been a, a great boyfriend in the past <laughs> and uh, I was very insecure about relationships and um, Were you? yeah deeply I mean because the, fir- the, the first love of my life did the classic unfaithful to me broke my heart all that stuff so uh, oh, that I hate her from that <laughs> no but from that point on you're gonna hate me in a minute from that point on I ended up every girl I went out with I was kind of unfaithful to them before oh. to kind of just kind of insulate myself from being yeah. hurt by them doing it to me it was a kind of case of and it was horrible because you just yes, stayed. Yes, because I think what happens is your portcullis comes down. Yes. And then you're like, right, no one's coming in here because that was rough. Yeah. You know? yeah <laughs> I don't horrible. want one of those sieges yeah. again. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. But, you, but the thing is, I do love to love. Like, I love to be in love. I, I love to give love. But then so imagine if someone was walking past and just heard you saying to me, I do love to love. Yeah. That's disgusting. He's got that lovely wife in there. <laughs> She's fine. Did you not notice the, the fishbowl thing with the keys in when you carry out all our neighbours? Someone's going to open the window. <laughs> Someone's going to open a window naked and go, are you coming over for our 3.30? And I'll go, no, I can't. That's the trailer. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so the woman who, oh, look. There she is. There's Mrs. Oh, a. there's a fee. Oh, she's my 3.30, actually. <laughs> oh, look. Hello. Hello there. That's not Chester, is it? Yeah. It is Chester. Chester is really super excited with life. Chester. Isn't he? Yeah, I know. Chester is <laughs> super Hello, excited. Chester, darling. And he's growing at quite I a rate, know. isn't he? I know, darling. I know, Chester. See ya. Bye see bye. you, Chester. I can, bye, you can Chester. see why Chester needs a walk, because he is... Uh, <laughs> He's quite intense, isn't he? Chester, 
Chester reminds me of um, Justin Bieber during his wild <laughs> period. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, Chester regularly throws <laughs> eggs at people's houses. I mean, he's all over it. Yeah, so I'm interested in this relationship because it started when we were talking yeah, about your yeah, parents yeah, yeah, and yeah, how yeah. your parents, yeah. they didn't have those sort of expectations on you, but they weren't... They were traditional, I suppose, in some ways. Yeah, but very liberal. We'll go I mean, around Sh- here now, if you like. Yeah, or just yeah, a second. Yeah. I mean, Sri Lankan... Um, Sri Lankan Buddhists are very liberal. Like, you know, Buddhism by is a religion that is, is quite... I mean, it doesn't impose lots of rules and regulations on you. Mm. It's quite philosophical in that respect. So it relies, you, it relies on you to kind of think rather than just do. Yes. So in that respect, and my parents weren't particularly religious. Mm. So, and remember, they escaped in some ways a country. So they just wanted us to live. They wanted us to, they never, say for instance, I never heard my parents say, oh, you're becoming too westernised, which is something that a lot of Asian kids hear from their parents. Their Mm. parents are terrified that they're going to become too westernised. Well, you've got to ask yourself the question, why bring someone to the West if you're concerned about them becoming westernised? It's it's bizarre. It's like, oh, we're going to go on a sunny holiday, but definitely don't get a tan. (laughs) Well, here's the idea. Don't take me on a sunny holiday. You know, it's the same kind of thing. I, I, I always find that... And we didn't... We didn't... I think... So my parents never taught us the language... So my brother and I don't speak Sinhalese. Uh, we know the odd word. We know the kind of cultural things. But I know you lost your dad, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, 19 years ago. June the 6th, 2000 is when he had a heart attack and died. Yeah. So you were quite, you would have been what, so 28, 20? Yeah, I was in my yeah, late yeah. 20s. And I, and I hadn't really, I was working in the music industry. And then I became like a music journalist for a little while. I mean, I left university, became a rapper actually, and then I was—that's when I was in the bands. I was that was in MC bands. Crazy. MC, well, actually, it was—I think I kind of may have ditched that name by then. You were uh, in a couple of, but, but how did your parents react to that then? Were they okay with that? I just think that they—I don't know if they were okay per se with me being a rapper. They certainly weren't okay with loads of blokes from South London coming through our living room to go and record raps in a back room of our house in this little village in Essex. You know, these blokes walking past with gold teeth going, hello, 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 what's happening? You all right? You cool, yeah? Like that. I'm not sure they were exactly over the moon with that. My dad probably was... My mum, being a nurse, she's very open-minded. She meets people from all different um, classes. Yeah, she works for the National Health and she's... Yeah, so... That's the great thing about them. They never... They never, my dad said, look, just do any degree because a degree, he said, is not about a vocation. A degree right. is about discipline in yeah. your mind. Look, they sent us to a rough comprehensive school. It's right. not like they sent us to a grammar school. Whereas the headmaster of my primary school said you, he should do the 11 plus and go to a grammar school. And they said, no, because... See ya. See ya. They said that his uh, older brother, my older brother, had already gone to the secondary school rough old comprehensive school in Essex at the time and we went to that so look you're a brown kid in mm. a in a rough comprehensive school these are the options you've let people call you the p-word mm. like the racial epithet and you spend your entire life cowering in a corner yes or the first time someone says that to you you punch them and you repeatedly punch them so that other people suddenly realize well probably not a great idea to do that to him and I went with the latter, not the former. So we're going to drop Luna off now. Now we've just got to your yeah. house. Yeah. Just because we should explain why she's she's knocking on. She is an old girl now. This is the dog, by the way. This yes. isn't your wife. No, she. Although she feels like an old girl after a big night out last night, I can imagine. She doesn't look like one. No, she does not. Luna had a nice walk, but I think that was enough for her. No. Oh, Luna, now you want to come with us. <laughs> you want to be with us, but you don't she really because Mummy's there. She just didn't want a coat. Oh, look at your dandruff. Where's all that come from? Oh, no, that's rude. I've come all the way up here <laughs> and I washed my hair this morning. OK? Well, I just, I, just, I just think that I believe in being really honest with people. <laughs> You'd got, we were talking, before we dropped Luna off, we were talking earlier about your, your parents and you'd, how you'd gone into... Post university. Yeah, so I signed a record deal in my third year. That was it. At university. At university. Yeah, God, so that yeah. was impressive. Yeah, that was good. That was good. And um, and then we went on tour and 
We had, uh, you know, Joe Wiley and Steve Lamack yeah. support, NME support. It was good. Um, and it kind of gave me a taste of what I wanted. But also, you know, I'm a, I was a British rapper in, like, in the early... No, it wouldn't have been the early noughties. It would have been the early 90s. Early 90s yeah. So that's kind of two decades, two and a half decades before Dizzy Rascals and where, where now British rappers are, are more successful than American rappers in many ways. You know, rappers like Stormzy and Dave and all these guys I who mean, are making American tiny temper. It's a fairly recent phenomenon, you know. But by you know, late 80s, I'm in my late teens, yes. and it's all about hip hop. I mean, it's all about Public Enemy and Cypress Hill and NWA, and I'm obsessed with that, you know. I'm obsessed because they gave me a sense of that being a person of colour had value which you just didn't yes. feel at all growing up. You felt that being a pe person of colour made you constantly uh, constantly waiting for validation from someone else. Right. But Public Enemy gave me validation from within. I wasn't, you know, it was like, yeah. right, okay. There's, and also, the reason I'm at Five Live, the reason I do this job I do is because of Public Enemy. It's because of Chuck D. It's because of not literally everything that he said, but just an encouragement to see the world in a different way, mm. to not take on board what you're being told as being the truth. And it was, it was public enemy that did question. that. To question everything, yeah. you know, to question everything. I remember just being pointed out that the size of maps were wrong, that they weren't, the ratios were wrong. Right. So it would make it look like Europe was as big as Africa. Well, that's oh, just simply not the case. That's so fascinating, right? Isn't it? Yeah. So Great Britain was on a map, <laughs> and it was like the size of France or something, yeah. and it's like, well, that's just not true. So, but also a thing like that, it has an effect because it it tells you that the world is actually the Western world, and that's what matters. And that's, that's when you get an unconscious bias, isn't it? Yeah, but you also get a, a conscient conscious. Um, a feeling of being inferior. Yes. So you get an inferiority yeah. complex because you're constantly given... Because like we grew up in a... Look, my kids will grow up and they can see Riz Ahmed, mm. Mindy Kaling, Gaz Khan. Yeah. There's so many people you? that they can see. <laughs> yeah, they can... Well, my, there's a giant picture of me on the side of the wall at Media City. But that's what I mean. Yeah. I think that is important that they see their father as a role model, you know? Well, I think it's important that they see people of that being a person of colour is normal. Well, you can take up space. Yes, you know. yes, without feeling as though that you are an interloper, that you are someone of value and that your opinions, your ideas are not given to you as a form of charity, that you're, they are equally as valid as anyone else's. Yeah. You know? My um, kids are third generation and, you know, my parents came over here with nothing, bought a house, paid off a house. Now, my brother and I have got, you know, we haven't got a property empire, but we've got more than one property, and they've managed that in a generation. Yeah. They went to states, we went to state schools. Uh, my nephew and my two kids go to private schools. Mm. So we've, that's all been achieved in a generation. I think that's an extraordinary achievement, but that's part of the immigrant, going back to initial part of our conversation, that's going back to just having that that will to succeed to well, say well it's like okay, I can't gonna... sit back and rest on my laurels yes you know yes because yes. there's no entitlement you don't no. feel entitled so no. did your um I was so when your dad died yeah is your mum still with us yeah she is she is she's uh 81 this year and that was out of the that must have been a bolt out of the blue and yeah how did that affect you and does that continue to affect you oh do you every think? day I think I think so, yeah. I, because, of course, you just want him to have met them, your kids. You want him to have been given a new lease of life 
by the joy and the energy and the opinions that they have. He never saw me join the BBC, he never saw me become a board member of the British Council or the board member of the South Bank Centre, he never saw me be at the Olympics for the BBC or the Commonwealth Games for the BBC, he never saw me inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame, he never seen any of these things. Well, he saw a rapper who then became a music PR, and okay, a music PR that worked for Elton John, but you know, Elton John didn't mean anything to him, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't listening to Elton John, so all of those things uh, meant that, uh, oh, hello, What's someone's that? called me from my on, agents. No, no, it's my, can... it's, my, it's my agents. If it was something like, I mean, I don't mind usually Obama calls at this time, but I don't, <laughs> I don't usually pick no, up. No, Nahal, that wouldn't surprise I don't me. Usually, don't um. usually pick up. He's bored now, so bored. <laughs> just rings up random people, bored. And, and just... I know I'm interested in that because Frank Skinner has a similar thing where he lost his parents... Mm. Really, at a similar point to you, I think he would have been late 20s, early 30s or something. It was just when things happened for him. And I think he does have that sense of... I can imagine you would feel, oh, I wonder what they would have thought of this. And Yeah. And weirdly enough, I am my maternal grandfather. That's who I am. Mm. I'm, I'm him more than I am in some ways my parents. And he was murdered. Um, was he now? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. He was shot in Sri Lanka in the early forties. Right. Um, probably nineteen forty. So, um, and I, I kind of, I did a documentary on him oh, for yes. the World Service. Yes. And um, it was a kind of who do you think you are, yeah. really? And um, I just discovered about him about this kind of sense of sense of injustice that things things are wrong. It just burns you. You can't. You can't be apathetic to that. That's why, say, the plight of white working-class boys bothers me. Because mm. I kind of think that's not right. Child poverty is just not right. You know, some people, some people say, you know, there are three million children living in child poverty, absolute poverty, and then they'll say their, their response won't be, God, that's terrible. How do we sort that? Their response, well, it all depends about the definition of absolute poverty, and I'm like, that's not the response. <laughs> well, it's many of these people going to food banks, etc. You know, it's that attitude, isn't it? And oh, I think... well, the reason there are more people going to food yeah. banks is because more people have become aware that food banks exist <laughs> and therefore they are queuing up because they get free stuff. Yeah. And you're like, OK, yeah. OK, but yes, it could be like that. Lottery tickets. Yeah. You know, it's, it was interesting, you said you care about this, you care about the plight. You use the word you. I would say you care. I don't think you as a word could be used in that sense because I don't think everyone does care yeah and I don't think that makes them bad people but but I think it's a lot of people the decisions they make in terms of how they vote or how they interact with the world are based on their own experience and I don't know I have a theory and I'm not saying this informs everything about you but I do am starting to realize having experienced grief and loss myself I do think, and it sounds like Smug Dead Club, so apologies if it does, but <laughs> I do think it does give you an insight into empathy that yes. perhaps you didn't have before. Mm. And yeah. it certainly has opened my eyes up to think, you know, I think uh, it makes you less brittle, it makes you more... Yeah, I see that. It's a di- I think it's a different perspective. You view life through a slightly different prism, is what I think. Well, I need to be more tolerant of the intolerant because I, I lack tolerance for the intolerant. And it's something that in order to build bridges with people who are intolerant, mm. you can't just be intolerant of them. You've got to try yeah. and understand why it is that they're intolerant. I agree. I, I had a exchange with a really, I, I respect so much. Um, this is on the a show. Journalist. Yeah. No, on Twitter. Right. Because I said, you know, what is it that makes you think that Tommy Robinson is worthy of your support, you know, what right. dire situation must you be in to think that that man can sort out your problems? Yeah. And someone just tweeted me, who's really well known, and he said, he's a journalist now based in America, in Washington, yeah. and he said, well, it's easy, they're racist. And I went, no, that's not what it is. He said, oh, but all the statistics prove to you that it's race-based. And I said, I don't think it's too simplistic to do that. Mm. It, it isn't, you know. It isn't that, just that. 
because where does that racism come from? Then you have to just dig a bit deeper and say, well, where does that sense of outrage, that anger at your lot in life or at other people? Yeah, where did it come from? And normally it is who hurt you. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I don't mean that as an insult because yeah. I think anger or outrage or intolerance generally comes from something, some sort of damage in some way. Yeah. Something has been yeah. damaged. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, no, it's not really a surprise that if you look at the profiles of some of the people on the far right and people who are ISIS, they're pretty similar. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at the, the Bataclan terrorists, these were petty criminals from broken homes. And then you look at the guys who are uh, done for far right attacks in America, petty criminals from broken homes, mm. bad childhoods, bad decisions, economically on the, on the verges of society. They're outsiders. Uh, oh, yes, is, is it here? Yeah, it we're in the coffee shop. It's called the fake This house. is nice. This is lovely. Um, what can I get some tea? I'm going to have the same as Mrs. A. Mrs. A is having P pumpkin spice latte. Yes. And I've got to get one of those to go as well, but not for a little while because we're going to sit in there for a bit. Is there anything I can eat? Oh, I want some cheese toast. Have you got brown bread? Yeah. Brown bread, cheese toast. With a bit of Worcester. What can? Yeah, with a bit of Worcester, exactly. Which you can have this after for your dessert, but do you like milk caramel or creamy white? Neither of those. For goodness oh sake. Oh my God, what is, what, what, what sorry, like? just white is not chocolate. <laughs> oh. Bourneville isn't really great either, if I'm honest, if you want to go so to the other end. what chocolate do you like? I mean, I'm a Ferrero Rocher type of guy. Yeah. I mean, let's well, see. I accept it's a fact, very specialist interest, chocolate. I described myself as this Jay-Z of confectionery on the radio <laughs> the other day because of my tastes in, <laughs> it's like, I'm going straight for the bling chocolate. So, um, I'm interested because you're, you got into radio then, yeah. not long after your dad died, in terms of you started doing... Yeah, it was two years yeah. after. Yeah, and About two years and four months. And it's I remember you from the weekend breakfast show yeah. on Radio 1, yeah. and do you think that's connected, that timing, that you had a bit of a rocket up your arse? Yes, it did, because I, I, I was working in PR, and I was in my 20s, and I looked at the future of pe people who were in PR who were then in their 40s and went, I don't want to be doing that. I don't want to be that guy. I do not want to be speaking to a, I don't want to be 40 speaking to a 20 year old researcher trying to persuade them that this band I've got is the reason. Maybe in a hall wearing a suit jacket with a t-shirt because guess what, you still got it. <laughs> that is very much, we're not going to name any names, but it's that look of the sort of, Expensive Richard James um, jacket yes. and a t-shirt and yes. jeans. Yes. Um, yeah. So I know what you mean. Yeah. You just thought, well, that's yeah. not for me. And but yeah. also, you probably did. I don't know. It's assuming a lot, but I, I certainly, my life changed when my family died. And yeah, I think you do get that sense of, oh God, this is it. It sharpens the mind, isn't it? It does, isn't it? How did the first radio stuff happen? So. A friend of mine called Shabs, who was the first guy to give me a job in the music industry, called me up and he went, Radio One are looking for DJ to present. Here comes my cheese toast. And how else got his cheesy toast? Thank you. That's so much cheese. It's amazing. Um, that looks wow. nice. Would you like some cheese toast? No, I'm having chocolate. Oh yeah, you are. Mm -hmm. Terrible chocolate. White cho Not really chocolate. Just on this for the record, you're not really having chocolate. Why? It's not chocolate. It's, not, it's that creamy natural, white. No palm oil or soya. It's oh, well, that's vegetarian. good. That's good. That's so woke. You were so <laughs> like judgy. Like woke chocolate. He's, it's alright for him to have oat milk in his hot chocolate. Yeah, yeah. and cheese. It's not I, even vegan cheese, is it? It's like proper cheese. So, um, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so go on. So, so you'll I, make. So I, I think I became a lot more strategic with my life. Because the thing is, my dad, I remember him telling me, Right, I'm going to get 65, I'm going to semi-retire, I'm going to consult for six months of the year, I'm going to spend six months a year in Sri Lanka. At 65, I'm going to do that. At 62, he dropped down of a heart attack. I was like, right, that is not happening to me. As soon as my kids get 18, I'll be in my mid-50s. They're off to uni. I'm going to spend three months a year in Sri Lanka. I'm going to, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I'm just going to make sure that... Is in, Mrs A happy with that? 
She, uh, yeah, I think so. She's Sri Lankan born. So she's got actually a much bigger social circle in Sri Lanka than I am. I want to go back to uh, yeah. well, your career, but I would also like to quickly just stop around. I need to know about mm. you meeting Mrs A. Mm. The British Council decided that the England cricket team were touring Sri Lanka in November 2003. And they decided, why don't we take out two BBC Radio 1 DJs to Sri Lanka, one of whom happens to be of Sri Lankan heritage, and that'd be amazing. As part of that, let's do a daytime kind of seminar when two BBC Radio 1 DJs have a conversation with local radio presenters in Colombo, of which this beautiful woman who was presenting the breakfast show on a radio station in Colombo attended because it was a day off from work and she'd seen the poster which was a cartoon version of the two of us and she thought oh that white guy looks quite attractive in that cartoon <laughs> drawing turns out obviously there's a very brown guy doesn't look anything like this she then spends about an hour just coating us off right so we'd say things like so when you're playing a record on the radio there is an intro section and that is an instrumental. And it's probably best that you don't talk over the vocals, at which point all of these people are looking at us like, are you kidding me? Like we've come to listen to these morons literally teach us to suck eggs. They have literally come up to us, borrowed our watch and are now telling us yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she could not hold her, her contempt for the shit that we were coming out what with. What did she say? Oh, she just went, oh, really? Thanks for that. Uh, but she, she grew up in America and then nice. moved back to Sri Lanka, so she had this and her cool American accent. Basically, yeah. yeah, and I noticed she had a pierced tongue. Read into that what you will. But I saw that and went, okay, that's, she's lively. <laughs> she's well lively. Um, <laughs> she had tattoos. My then co-presenter at Radio One, I'd also clocked that she was attractive and she had a pierced tongue. So he went flirty with her. And I, in my mind... Do you know so, what? I'm retrospectively furious. How dare he? It's like watching the Back to the Future and someone trying to get between them. You're like, no! So he's, he's of... Like he's of Indian Punjabi origin. So I've gone, in my head... Oh, big wow. Wow. Well, <laughs> in my head, I've gone, there is no way... On my manor, Sri Lanka, I'm going to let an Indian Punjabi pull this beautiful Sri Lankan woman. You so needed to do it for, the, for your country, it literally. Was for the brand, right? <laughs> that was a branding exercise. I like to Good think you were doing it for your parents. It was a noble... I'd never gone out with a Sri Lankan girl before. I'd never... Really? So had your girlfriends before Mrs A? Why... Did you think you'd marry a Sri Lankan girl? No. I'd made up my mind a year before that I never would because they were all so snooty. When you go to Colombo, it's like, Jesus, it's hard work. Nice. Eating cheese toast doesn't work. <laughs> uh, where I'm going to have a, a little bit. Let me taste that. Please. Only a little square I want. There you go. So what happened? So you, well, the battle was on. 100%. And this guy, co-present, he quite likes, you know, he likes to party and all that. A bit more subdued than that, really. He went, let's go find a bar. I went, should we go to a mall? And she looked at me like, why the hell would I want to go to a mall for? It's rubbish. So I was like, yeah. but somehow I managed to get her away from everyone else, get the two of us into a tuk-tuk, go to the mall. We then went kind of shopping. She tried some stuff on. She was like, oh, I really like this, I like that. Da -da 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 -da. She then goes into the changing room. I then pay for it. She comes out, it's all paid for. She's like, she's like, you didn't, no. It's like, no, that's not cool. You didn't need to do that. I was like, no, I know, need to do it. No, I didn't need to. My Smooth life, my life, doesn't, my life doesn't depend on me doing it. Like, so then we were just talking and laughing and we just talked and talked and laughed and laughed and this energy that she has. And then we ended up, you know, having a kiss and it was like, that was it really. That was it. And it was just, it's amazing because if you've gone out with people who are completely different culture to you, mm. there's a lot of questions that yeah. 
they ask you and there's lots of things that are normal to you that is not normal to them I'm not saying they're good or bad I'm just saying it's different and then suddenly you meet this girl yeah. and there are none of those questions everything's just a given you just completely the first kind of 50% of getting to know each other God, so you can just concentrate on having fun because you're not asking them about this and about that and about this it's your people isn't yeah. it and when I say your people I mean that in a sort of it's kind of a spiritual thing in a way it's that shared life experience isn't it that mm. there are givens you know she says one of the things that she found particularly impressive was when I met, went to meet her grandmother as I left we do a thing where we will get onto our knees and pray to them to praise an, an elder is you that would, right yeah I, I love that I've, see, I've seen my own parents do that to older Asians and she saw me do that and she went right okay he's potentially he's a in. keeper right because he's he's shown respect to my grandmother it it's interesting be though because in a way you were part of, I see you as very much part of, I guess, of rap culture, and that was yeah. your world, and that was your, yeah. a lot of your friends were in that mm. world, and your work took you into that world. Whereas, how can, I wouldn't say, if a friend was saying, I really want to meet a nice guy who's gonna look after me and I can settle down with, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't say, maybe, you know, go and, go and um, give Public Enemy a call, or, you know, that it's just, that is interesting to me that you're, I was an anomaly in that way. I was. I joined Radio One in October of 2002 and met Isha in November of 2003. But you were also getting well known by that point. And my question to you is that it's harder because suddenly you get it's opportunity. I think I I sacrificed raw ambition for love. Did you? And a family. Yeah. And why? And what way did you? Because I saw, I saw lonely millionaires, and when I'd rather be okay, but have her and have children with her. And why? In what way did that involve a professional sacrifice? Do you think? Because I think that you, you, know, you can't just go off and make a documentary for three months, right? You can't just be at groucho every night and you can't just be kind of schmoozing schmoozing and and playing the game I see that you can't do any of that you have to kind of go and I didn't want that you know I didn't want to be that raw ambition Mm. because everybody I knew who was super successful I looked at their lives I went I don't want this life you've got a Porsche and you've got a big house and I've dropped you off and watched you walk up the steps and go into that house alone and did you get the sense as well, because I know, I remember reading about when you stood in for Chris Moyles, which I was interested about, the first time you did it, yeah. and you said you had that sense of, oh my God, I can't believe how people are going to react to me. It's like this yeah. guy suddenly standing in for this, you know, it was huge at the time, wasn't he? And it was, I suppose that what I was going to ask you is, did you ever have that, have you ever had that feeling of, you know, people call it imposter syndrome, of like, have I got a right to be at the table? And Until I got to Five Live. Until, really? until actually, until I got, not even until I got to Five Live, until probably this year. Really? Yeah. I think now, now I think, no, now I know I'm brilliant at what I do, but I didn't up until then. I think but then that's because I personally think you found what you are brilliant at, yeah. which is I think you were probably brilliant, you were brilliant, you know, you were talented anyway and you were brilliant, but... I can tell just from spending an hour, you know, just 10 minutes with you in the street, if the idea of fulfillment and happiness is to do what you are, mm. that's what you do. I've seen you in the street, you go up to people and go, so tell us, how's Murphy? Is that because are you from Ireland and how's mm. that going? Mm. That's what you do on your show. Mm. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And I think yeah. you're in, you found a job where you're inquisitive, you're obviously interested in politics, you're interested in people, yeah. you're interested in how the world works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's well, probably something that, let's be honest, if you were great as the Radio 1 Breakfast Show is, and, and respect to it, you couldn't be sitting there having the sort of conversations no. about race and no, class and politics. No, this is my politics. perfect job. Yeah. It's the, I found my perfect job. Weird enough, this is, in some respects, the Five Live audience. Very tiny that they are. Tiny proportion of them are really angry. 
and very loud. And when I first kind of joined Five Live, there was a lot of on social media like, you're only here because of political correctness. Like, you're only here because the BBC has to tick its quota and you're the only Asian presenter on Daytime Five Live. And you'd start to go, oh God, yeah, you know, maybe it is that. And then you go, fuck off. How dare you? Like, I've earned the rights we are, and at some times I would just reply to people and go, why don't we meet up and I'll, let's compare CVs. And I'll tell, and you, and then once you've seen what I've done, you tell me whether I deserve to be or not, and I'll tell you whether you have the right to tell me. Do you know what I like about you now? Is that this, this is, you truly have joined the middle classes, yeah. because you're saying outside, mate, and get your CV out. <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's not, not outside. It's not outside, I know, it's like, I know. Let's have side and compare well, CVs. Five Live has taught me not to be that X6 conference. So, and the Asian Network. So you, you heard me have a very difficult interview with an American comedian, right? Now, back in the days, I wouldn't have been passive aggressive. I'd have been aggressive back to him, which would, would have, you? yeah, 100%. I would have just, I would have gone into battle rapper mode, right? So I would have just gone, okay, you think you've got lyrics. I'm going to come for you and I'm going to annihilate you, which would just make me look like a dick on the radio, right? I've learned that I'm just going to let you make yourself look like a dick and I'm going to keep it calm and I'm just going to go, well, okay. And then I'll keep trying and trying. And the audience will go, that guy's a dick. Whereas Nihar was just trying to do an interview with him. And I've learned that, I've had to learn that. Because I was that angry kid. Sorry, we're just working in uh, open all hours today. Van no. Mill? No. You got them candlesticks? <laughs> you know, I think that's a good policy in life in general. Because I'm very much of the opinion that if someone's ranting or mm. a silence, there's a difference between ghosting and silence, you know, in terms of dignified silence. Mm. And people will fill that space with their own shit without even realising it. You let them just do their thing. And, and I did listen to an interview, did. I won't name the person, but it was interesting to me because this person was being aggressive, defensive, angry. But I think that I definitely got a sense in that interview of him having to back down a bit. Mm. It was like he tried to bully you and then thought, okay, he's not responding in the way I'm expecting. Yeah. Do you not get upset about things like that? I would have been really shaken after that interview. So after the interview, we came out of the studio and went, oh, okay, that was okay, wasn't it? And I told him to fuck off. I said to him, are you kidding me? Did you? I said, now I know how you felt when you interviewed someone who didn't want to give you anything. And he went, no, no, it wasn't like that, it wasn't like that. And I said, it was like that, you were being contrary. And he said, well, I'm sorry, but I didn't see it that way. And, and I was like, because I, look, I've got all the friends I need. You're on to come and sell something. Now, I'm gonna open, I'm gonna open the door because I'm interested in you. If you want to be a dick, no good will come of it for you. Because I'll carry on doing the show. You've just got that hour, 40 minutes, to impress a lot of people that you're a good person, or you're an interesting person, or you're a valuable member of the human race. And he managed to do none of that. Can we get a pumpkin spice latte to go? We're, we're leaving here now, yes. if you want to get involved here. Let me clear up my plate away. I haven't even asked you about Luna, the dog. Yeah. Who's back home now, because she's yes. not, how old is Luna? She'll be 14 in October. Oh. So I guess she's 13 and a half. And she's a staffy. And are you a dog person? Did your family have dogs growing up? I grew up with cats, actually. So my mum had cats. And then the reason we got a dog was because I was, con I was still DJing away a lot at the weekends. Mm. My wife, quite rightly, said, you brought me over to this country <laughs> and now you're going off every weekend. Brilliant. I want a dog. <laughs> I want maybe a little Yorkie Terrier type dog. I went, you're not having one of those. If we get a dog, I lived in Westbourne Park at the time, so we'd walk our dog around, you know, Labrick Grove and all that. Yeah. It's a bit geezerish in the canal. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want a dog that I can walk without feeling emasculated. So that shows my own insecurities. 
So being from Essex as I am, the only dog you can really get or should really get, in my opinion, is a Staffordshire Bull Terrier or Staffy, of course, yeah. as you say. Now, it's like a visa to get into Essex. <laughs> Those are Gucci loafers are the two things that will ensure <laughs> entry across the border between Hertfordshire and Essex or yes. North or East London and Essex. <laughs> so a Staffy was just a great dog. It's also as well, partly, it's a bridge yeah. between cultures. So I think people seeing an Asian with a staff kind of just thought, oh, he, he's probably sound, isn't he? Sound as a pound, isn't he? What, the Asian fellow with a staff? Oh, he's a great <laughs> lad. Love that bloke. <laughs> Top geezer. Staffies I see as a sort of um, British dog, the family portrait with the staff. Yeah, I think the thing is, is that Staffy had drug dealer dog written all over it, right? <laughs> It just did, I mean... Yeah, it got a bad press, didn't it, Oh, absolutely, and in the kind of early, sorry, late 80s, when I was spending a lot of time in South London with one of my best mates, still my best mate to this day, and we were in our teens, late teens, you'd have people who were drug dealers who had staffies, and they were called Ninja and Tyson (laughs) and things like that. Mine was called Spider, just FYI. Oh, right, okay. Not three times and asked for Spider. (laughs) (laughs) And then you'd have, like, not only that, but... They'd have like a, a red bandana t- tied around their neck. <laughs> I love Luna. She's yeah, the kindest, sweetest dog. And she nearly died about a month ago. <gasps> she had these seizures. Yeah. We were in the Lake District and she started to have a seizure in the car mm. at Isha's feet in the passenger side. It was horrific. Oh. And we thought we were going to lose her. Yeah. And up until that point, she'd just been the same dog. 13 years old, but the same dog. Yeah. Never changed, playful, silly, stupid, amazing. And now she is on the way out, and we think she may have brain cancer, but we didn't get an MRI done because we just thought, if she does have cancer, she's gonna have to have chemo, she's gonna have to keep going back in the hospital, and we won't get time with her. In some ways, we're kind of just counting the months, really. You know, my wife and I had a conversation about this, and I'll wanna get a dog soon afterwards. I know it sounds horribly callous, but I can't bear the idea of losing her and then being in a dogless house. It's very difficult, isn't it? Once you've had a dog, the idea of not having one seems awful, doesn't it? Well, this would be the first real bereavement my wife has had to deal with. Her father died when she was one, so she never remembered him. Right. So... That's a different kind of loss, isn't it? Yeah. She what never... do you think the difference between that... I mean, I presume you guys have talked about that because yeah. you both lost your dads, but yeah. what's, how does that impact you differently, do you think, never knowing a father and losing one at a point in your life that feels a little early, to be honest, in your... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really... I mean, it's, it's, it's bad luck, clearly. I think it's... I find it quite interesting, the relationship between daughters and their fathers and how important that relationship is for for their future relationships, Mm. how their father treats them and how their father treats their mother and what, as a woman or as a girl, you grow up seeing how you're made to feel by the most important man in your life up until a certain point. And if you don't have that, I don't know how easy it is for you to measure what a good relationship feels like or looks like yes and, um, I can see that it's only when you acknowledge that my thing is that we all suffer our own damage yes I think the issues you get which I had for years is when you're in denial over that damage yes. so I've met people who've said oh meet my mum she's the kindest nicest person in the world and then I've thought Jesus when I've I just see this narcissist who's messed them up Right. And I think, okay, right. your damage is that right. you don't... We've all got yeah, yeah, parents yeah. with issues. So I think once you acknowledge it, you just say, look, we're all, we're all guilty, none of us are to blame. Yes. You know? Do you know, I did make a joke with Nihal. I actually want to move in <laughs> because I love Mrs A and I love you. Oh. And I really like Luna and I'd like to spend some time with her while I can. Well, we have a spare uh, floor. I just think... It would be a really nice house to move into. I think so. You've got the son well, and the daughter. like it. I mean, there's ba- there are badges. And your I daughter. I bet where you live you don't have badges. No. No, see? We have badges. <laughs> Never seen them. 
don't know if they exist, could be an <laughs> urban myth. Your daughter's got a drum kit as yes. well, which we've got to Daphne, but I really wanted to see her playing drums. I think, I always think of, I love her. A female drummer is my thing. I'm obsessed yeah. by it. She used to fence as well. I We're going to get her back into fencing again. There's the car. There's the car. Now, this yeah. has been one of the nicest times. I had a pumpkin spice latte. Yeah. I came on your show. Yes. I really had a good energy and vibe about you. And it's just proved that I'm absolutely right. Oh, of course you're right. You're I've made it right, about me. Yeah, of course. But no, it's proved you really right. are everything I thought you'd be. And oh. I love Mrs. A. So do I. And you're a good man. <laughs> and you're an intelligent man. <laughs> And she's right. got the best dog in the world. Oh, she is. Well, I think Raymond might disagree with that. <laughs> that I don't want to get... Give me a hug. Oh, you lovely thing. Right, I need my keys. Thank I'm you so much now. for coming to see... Yeah, we'll get you a key. Go and just open the door, it's open. Mrs A! I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.